Hey, good morning. Wasn't the worship team great this morning? I mean, they, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, um, you know, we, Cowboy Josh, you know, I called him Cowboy Josh from the stage one time because it's a term of endearment. I didn't know that it was actually prophecy and it would slowly turn him into a full-on cowboy. Josh, we love the overalls. We love you, bro. Um, But seriously, uh, you know, the thing that actually makes our worship team so incredible, let me share this with you for a second because I've been thinking about this, is not that they're great musicians. It is the dedication they have to serve and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. These are people that Monday through Saturday live out their faith to a great God. And when they come here and serve us with that, it's pointing all of us to Jesus. And I love that about that. Now, before we get into the message today, I want you to take out your connection card. You're going to need this today. But I want to share one thing with you before I dig into the message, a little bit of pastoral privilege here. And that's this. Uh, A few weeks ago, maybe just two or three weeks ago now, we started five new community groups because we just believe life is better connected. You know, when, when you find your people, it's a good thing. My wife and I joined a couples group that's led by Andy and Meg Stockton. And our group has four couples in it right now. We're looking for one or two more couples to join our group on Thursday night. If you think that might be you, uh, you can just write the word couples on the back of your connection card and we'll get you the info for that. You're not committing to join, you're just finding out more about it. But if you're not a couple and you still want a little bit more info, there's a box that says send me info about community groups. Check that box. We'll make sure you get a listing of open groups you can search online and find one that works with your schedule because life is better connected and there's just a power when you move from rows into circles. All right, let's talk about the message today. We're in the the final week of our Demystify teaching series, and today we're thinking about making an eternal impact. So let's start off thinking about what lasts in your life. And here's some things I've found that don't last very long in your life. Number one, jeans. I blew out two pairs of jeans last week, and I don't know when jeans became a luxury item, but I had to drop like a hundred bucks. So jeans don't last very long. How about cell phones? Cell phones last a couple of years. They last until either Apple updates your operating system, which crashes your phone so you have to buy a new one, or until you you lose your phone or get it stolen. Now, how many of you are phone losers? Do we have... Don't call yourself a loser. You know, think highly of yourself. You're a son or daughter of the king. I'm a phone loser. I get my phone lost. I get my phone stolen. That's how I get my upgrade. When when it's gone on too long and I have like the old six, I'm like, oh, I don't know. It got left on the train. I'm sorry. Someone stole it. I turn off, find your phone first. Phones don't last. Let's see, I did mention clothes. Clothes don't last anymore. We have a policy in our house. If you buy Banana Republic, it's gonna last for three years. If you buy Gap, it's gonna last for one year. If you buy Old Navy, it's gonna last for one wash. You get, you get one wash from Old Navy. Um, we, uh, cars, you know, not everyone here has a car, but cars wear out. We had a family at our church several years ago. They moved to San Francisco since then. Uh, the guy's working for Industrial Light and Magic now, which is super cool. But they went through like four cars in one year. And it wasn't because all their, well, one of their cars lit on fire. Do you remember that? The car, uh, she, the car was doing funny things, but she was going to a job interview. So she's like, I'm not stopping. So she goes to the job interview, puts up the hood, goes inside for a job interview at a school. And the receptionist was like, hey, you need to come back out. Your car is on fire. And so she went, but the other three got wrecked. Like she was a horrible driver. It was all her. It got to the point that we would not ride in the car with her, who shall remain nameless. Um, I know you still watch sometimes. We do love you. I'm just not riding with you in the car. There's just things that, that wear out and they don't last over time. And we all know what they are. They all are, are all frustrating. But when you think about people and you think about the people you encounter with every day and the people you love so much, and maybe sometimes the people you can't stand that you work with, people are not like that. Oh yeah, our bodies wear out. That's for dang sure. I'm coming up on 37 next month. And there's some things, let me just tell you, there's some things wearing out. I walked 
I walked with a limp for a month last year because I was uh, lifting weights, and it wasn't a lot. I can promise you that. Um, but I thought I was 27 instead of 37, and I walked with a limp for an entire month. Our bodies wear out, but people, people are eternal. People last forever. And the implications of this are enormous. It means that the people, it means that your arch nemesis at work, Steve, it's always a guy named Steve, you know, like Steve, that, that guy that you're like jockeying with for a position and you're trying to get the tenure track position or you're trying to get, you know, you're trying to become the next project manager. And so they said that, that guy is eternal. It means your next door neighbor, who's just this incredible person that you love so much, that person's eternal. It means your other next door neighbor who's like an old school New Englander and it's like the grumpiest person you've ever met in your entire life and just like yells at you and screams at you. That person is eternal. It means that little kids who can't even speak yet are eternal. It means that your mom and dad, your sister and your brother, your best friend from college are eternal. And when you impact people, you impact eternity. Um, there was a, the great World War I soldier, philosopher, and professor. His name was C.S. Lewis. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He captured this in a way that no one else could. Here, here's what he said about this idea of people being eternal. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. People last forever. And here's the promise buried in that premise, that if people last forever, then when you impact people, you are making a lasting impact. You are making an eternal impact. You might think to yourself, I just plug numbers into a spreadsheet, bro. That's, I'm an accountant. You might think to yourself, I just do graphic design. That's all I do. You may think to yourself, I just stay home with little kids that can't even speak yet. You may think to yourself, you know what, I just write documentation for software. But every time you encounter a person, you have an opportunity to make an eternal difference in their life. Today we're finishing our series called Demystify, which is about how the Holy Spirit renews your relationships and how the Holy Spirit can give you intimacy with God, and the Holy Spirit can help build this community around you that you so desperately need in your life. But today is the the final week of it. And we're looking at how you can impact the people that you interact with every day. I, the, the acronym that I remember for this from years and years ago is FRAN, F-R-A-N, Friends, Relatives, Associates, and Neighbors. It's the people you love, the people you can't stand, the people you see right in front of you. And I believe God wants you to make an impact on their life. The question for today is how do you impact someone's eternity? And this is not an add-on to life. This is not like a, I'm making it through my life. I've got my best life now. I'm living the American dream. You know, my parents came here, and now I'm getting my college education, and I'm going to live my parents' best dream. Like, this is not just, and then also maybe I can do some good in the world. This is not an add-on to life. This is the purpose that God gives us in life is to impact people and to change the course of eternity. If you miss this, If you live for the kingdom of me instead of the kingdom of God, you will end up drifting through life in a purposeless way. If you are thinking too short term and you're so focused on problems that you miss people, then you will be missing out on the difference in eternity that God wants you to make. You know, know, we we have this thing that we do at our church, you know, we kind of say behind the scenes, people before problems. 
which is that, like everybody's got problems to solve. You go to work, you got problems to solve. You go, you go home for like a, a Christmas break or something, you got problems to solve. Everybody has problems to solve. But people come before problems around here because people are eternal. We want to think long-term, not short-term. You don't want to trade eternal impact for short-term problem solving. And here's the other part of this too. If you are not influencing people in your life, it is likely that they are influencing you. You ever found yourself in that position? You're hanging out with people, and all of a sudden, you find yourself in a place you shouldn't be, and you're like, how did I even get here? You find yourself having conversations, doing things that you never would have done, and you're like, how did I get here? How did I end up in this place? And it's because people are influencing you more than you're influencing them. So we want to be the people who are influencing and impacting other people's eternity. And that starts not with what you do, but it starts surprisingly with who you trust. And let me tell you why. Because if you want to impact the eternity of your friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors, you've got to put your faith in Jesus. Because when you come to Jesus, he gives you forgiveness for your past. He gives you the promise of an eternal future in heaven. And he gives you the power to change today. He changes your eternity. Which is something, I don't know if you've thought about this much, but that's actually, those are all things you can't do for you, right? You can't, you know, you can't forgive your past for God, that you can't do that. You can't guarantee yourself a future in heaven, and you, you don't even have the power to make the changes you need in your life, because let's face it, we're all still doing things we wish we could stop doing. That's something God does for us. Jesus impacts your eternity, and until your eternity is changed by Jesus, man, good luck changing somebody else's eternity. You can't lead someone down a path that you are not on. You cannot give what you don't possess. And so you need to have your spiritual life, your eternity changed by Jesus first. And if you came here today and you're, you're kind of like moving, investigating Christianity, like, you know, man, I was just at the hotel and now I'm here. I don't even know what happened. You know, my friend brought me here. They said, you know, we're just going to make a little stopover before we go to brunch. And like, bam, now you're in church and they're talking about Jesus and whoa. And you know, maybe... Maybe you've got some reasons why you're, you're, you're distanced from faith and like, you know, you experience some things in church and you've got some hurt in your background and things like that. And you're like, well, what about the dinosaurs and what's the deal with? And listen, I know you have reasons why you're, you have good reasons why, you, you know, you're not a Christian right now at this moment. But let me just, let me just encourage you with this. There are things God can do for you that no matter what you do, you cannot do for yourself. And part of becoming a Christian is kind of, that's maybe the, maybe that's the first baby step is just realizing like, oh yeah, you know what? I can't impact eternity. I, I can't even really change today. I mean, I've made some changes, but there's some things I just can't change. So to start impacting someone's eternity, you have to have your eternity changed. And things really do change when you transfer your trust from you to Jesus. And one of the big reasons is, is that God gives you the Holy Spirit. This is a teaching from Jesus that when you turn from your sin to put your faith in him, you receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. And here's the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence in you. That's the Holy Spirit, God's personal presence. We've said this every week. It's different when you see signs of God all around you. So like you go into nature and you experience, you're like, oh, I see, you see the Grand Canyon, you see the trees and you're just like all these signs that God is everywhere. And you look up at the stars and the, the vastness of our universe and the fact that there was a big bang, there was a start. And before the start, what was there? There was nothing. And then it just boom into existence. And then you go back to Genesis one and it's like, how did the world start? It's like, well, first there was nothing. And then just boom, out of nothing, something starts. And all of these are signs of God, but you can't settle for signs of God when you have the, when you have the opportunity of having his personal presence in your life. 
He gives you his personal presence, the Holy Spirit in you. And when he enters your life, he brings power, he brings strength of God into your life. He works in you and he also works through you. This is so important. Think about this. Because just like, you know, there's some things you can't do for yourself. (laughs) There's like some things you can't give you. The people you love the most, the people you care about in the core of your being, the things they need the most are things you can't give them. The people you care about the most need things you can't give. They need forgiveness for their past. They need hope for the future, that their eternity is settled. They need the power to change today. And you can't give any of that to them. But when God's personal presence is in you, when the Holy Spirit is in you, and he works through you, he can bring those things into someone else's life. He will give you the power you need to impact someone else's eternity. We, we said it like this in the past, but it makes sense that God, in, because God is in you, God is going to work through you, and you can change someone's eternity. I want you to look with me at Acts 1.8. Now, this is in your uh, teaching notes for today, if you're following along here. It's on the first page. Jesus talked about this connection, about when you receive the Holy Spirit, that you have the power you need to make an eternal difference in someone else's life. And this is the way Jesus said it. This is actually the last thing we have recorded that Jesus said when he was on, on earth. He, he died, he, you know, he, he lived this life, he died on the cross, and then all these people were like, yeah, but we saw him alive again, and it really freaked us out. And, and when they wrote about it later, and it was like, what was the last thing Jesus said? Here's the last thing he said. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this is like so, you know, it's like if the logic of Christianity is true, then it's like, well, of course, right? If God's personal presence is in me, then there's power in me that was not there before. It says, and, but what do you have the power for? You know, there were these old, uh, there were these old power team things. You know, some of you, if you like grew up in church, if you, if you didn't grow up in church, I wouldn't expect you to know about this at all. But if you grew up in like, and you, maybe you have some fundamentalist roots down in there. There was this thing called the power team. And they were like these Christian bodybuilders and they would come around to churches and it'd be this big outreach event. And they'd be like, I, I don't know, I kind of imagine it like He-Man where they're like, by the power of Grayskull. And then they would just like rip a phone book in half. That's not the kind of power we're talking about here. We, we get a really clear picture of what the power is. When he comes on you, it says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Just so you know, those are concentric circles, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. But he says, you will be my witnesses. Now, we're going to talk here about witnesses for a second, because witnesses is a word that has, like, some baggage in Christian circles. Like, it doesn't just mean witnesses anymore, right? You say, if you grew up in Christian circles, you know people would say, uh, yeah, you know, I went, I went over to her house and I witnessed to her. Which means like, you know, I told her all about Jesus and I like there was a five point presentation and it's like the Romans road and it's like, and are you ready to make this commitment today to follow it? Like I witnessed to her. But you know what witness means in the original Greek? Witnessed. A witness tells people what they witnessed. Bring it up. Next slide. A witness tells people what they witnessed. That's what a witness does. It's like, this is what I saw. This is what I experienced. I smelled it. I tasted it. I saw it. And in fact, when you think about Jesus' appearances to the disciples, he would often not just appear to them visually, but he'd say, hey, uh, give me something to eat. Let's make breakfast. Let's eat together. Put your hand in my side, Thomas, if you're doubting. 
So literally, all of their senses are engaged. They witnessed Jesus raised from the dead. And they witnessed, and they witnessed his life. His, his earliest disciples witnessed his death. Some of them were at a distance. Some of them were right there at the foot of the cross. They witnessed when he was murdered by the government for doing nothing. But then they witnessed him alive again. They were eyewitnesses to seeing him alive again. And it went way beyond weird because none of them were expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. They weren't like, all right, three days from now, we're going to see this dead guy come back to life. It's going to be epic. No, they were shocked. They were surprised because they know something actually better even than we know, which is that dead people don't rise from the grave. And the reason they knew that better is because we keep death at a distance in our society, but they lived with it every day when disease was killing everyone and they were losing children in childbirth. They were losing women in childbirth that people were dying all around them. They were up close and personal. There, were no, there was no professional funeral service. They were the ones carrying the bodies, putting them in tombs. The dead bodies would decay in tombs. And when, when it was a family tomb, so when someone else died, you have to go back in there and like kind of collect the bones of the people who had died. So they know death. And they know that people don't rise from the dead, but they saw something that totally changed the trajectory of their lives so that all 12 of Jesus' original disciples, which are also called apostles, eventually died saying... Yeah, but I saw him again alive after he died. And they would say, you know, just stop saying this and we'll let you live. We won't torture you. And they said, yeah, but I saw him alive after he died. And they told people what they witnessed. As those first followers of Jesus got older and they kind of could see the end of their life coming, And they had told people throughout the entire known world what they had witnessed. They thought, you know what, people are going to want to know what we witnessed, so we'd better write this down. And so in your Bible, you have four books called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection wrote down what they witnessed. So we have access to that witness. Now, that was the early followers of Jesus, but let's talk about us for a second. Ever since those first followers of Jesus talked about what they witnessed and the Holy Spirit lit that on fire with power, regular, ordinary followers of Jesus have been telling people what they witnessed. They say, here's what I experienced. My life was radically self-centered, and now it's, it's God-centered I, I, was, I had a destroyed relationship with my mom and it was just headed for chaos. And now that relationship has healing in it. And I have a good relationship with my mother. God saved my marriage. God helped me to turn from sin and destructive habits in my life. That was like, I could not escape from these destructive habits. And he just, he gave me freedom. He gave me freedom from that. And we tell people what we witnessed. And we share with them the eyewitness accounts of the first witnesses, which is, we call the scriptures, and we say, this is, this is what was seen. And to this day, when you share with somebody what you've witnessed and what they witnessed, the Holy Spirit takes those words, lights them on fire with power, and uses them in someone else's life to move from living a me-first life to a God-first life. Living for the kingdom of me to living for the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit puts power behind those words. So the question for us becomes, <laughs> so why don't, we, why, don't we, why don't we speak those words more often? 
You know, if the Holy Spirit is going to light these words on fire and give them power, like, why aren't we doing that? And I'm not shaming you because, like, this is something I live every single day. My family's not Christians. Every time I go home, I'm like, man, I want to find a way to talk to them. I just care so much. And I don't know how to bring it up because it's my family, and they know me, and I'm, like, still the kid that was stealing videos from Blockbuster Video, which was a thing. Anyway, it was like this little cassette, and, like, you would put it in a machine, and then videos would play. I don't have to go into all that. The point is, they know me, and it's so difficult, and it's like... Mm. So why, why, aren't we, why aren't we doing this? Well, what I want to do to answer that question for the rest of our time today is I want to look at an example of one of the greatest witnesses in Christian history. His name was Paul, and he, he, was, he was highly educated. He was very, very intelligent, and he was, um, he was effective at telling people what he had seen and experienced in such a way that it pointed them to Jesus. And we're going to actually see him do this in a very positive way. We're going to look at some of the things present in his life to see what enabled him to speak boldly and fearlessly about, about what he had witnessed. And maybe we can pull some of that into our own lives. Maybe we can learn some of that. Maybe something can get rewired in our hearts so that we have that boldness we need to um, share what we have seen and experienced and point people to the eyewitnesses, okay? This is going to be in Acts chapter 23. Now, Here's the background that you need. This is the inside of your teaching notes, by the way. Here's the background you need. Um, Paul has been falsely charged with causing riots in Jerusalem. And so he's been sent to the governor, and he's at his trial in Acts 23. And if he loses this trial, he's going to be sentenced to death. And if he wins this trial, he's going to be set free. And... um, Well, yeah, what, what you're going to see happen here is that um, Paul doesn't have an attorney. He's acting as his own defense attorney, and he gives the worst defense in the history of mankind, considering that his life is on the line, right? What you should be talking about if you're defending yourself in a trial like this is how you're innocent and how you didn't start a riot and how people are out to get you and they're falsely slandering you and they're lying about you. That's really your main message if you're on trial and your life is on the line. But I want you to look at what... <laughs> What Paul says to the governor, a guy named Felix, during his defense trial, he gets seriously off message. Here's what it says. He, Felix, that's the governor, sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Jesus Christ. You want to talk about off message at your, at your trial? Instead of talking about his innocence, he talks about his faith in Jesus Christ. He is off message on his defense but he is on message with the one message and the one conversation that has defined his entire life. He never lets it go. Uh, next verse. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, which I think is so interesting here because it, this is not Christianity light, is it? He's not like, hey, listen, so, you know, there's some good things. There's like heaven coming, Felix, you're going to love it. You know, you're going to be blessed and highly favored. You're going to be the head and not the tail. You're going to be the, the, the front and not the back. You know, God is going to, you are a child of God, Felix. Rise up and claim your blessings. Like, no, it's like righteousness, self-control, judgment to come. Because here's a little secret, uh, especially that works in Boston. If people don't want Christianity, they don't want Christianity light. If you don't want Budweiser, do you want Bud Light? No. People, if people don't want Christianity, they don't want Christianity light. He talks about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. To the point that, how's this for an evangelism strategy? Felix was afraid. He was like, no, I don't, I don't like this. But 
Something sticks in his mind, and he says, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Next verse. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he did send for him frequently and talked with him. So there's this ongoing conversation, right? So Paul shows up at his defense. He gets seriously off message. He refuses to offer a bribe. The conversation stops for the moment. Paul sits in prison while all of this is happening under guard. And then look how long this goes on for. Next verse. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews. He left Paul in prison. Two years. Paul stays in prison for two years to keep the conversation about faith going instead of working on his own defense, instead of choosing to get out of prison by paying some money. I mean, we say like, yeah, I wouldn't pay a bribe. It's like, hey, listen, you, what if I said, you know, you could sit in prison for two years, you could just pay this guy because that's how society here works. Like, that's a serious temptation. But Paul keeps the conversation going. Um, you know, I just think it's so remarkable that, like I said before, you know, he's off message with his trial defense, but he's on message with the one conversation that has dominated his life forever about what Jesus had done, about how Jesus changed his life. If you kind of look up the rest of the story, which I encourage you to do this week, you actually see how he talks about his experience with Jesus because he hadn't witnessed firsthand like the, the life and death and resurrection or certainly not all the parts of it, which is actually kind of true. That's, that is true of us. Like we, we weren't there. We weren't the eyewitnesses. And so he gives a model of how he does that. But he stays on message, even if it takes years. Now, I want to, pause the story here and tell you why I picked this story. When pastors teach about the Holy Spirit giving your words power when you share about the gospel, nobody ever picks this passage. You know why? None of the people in this story come to faith. We usually teach about Philip the Evangelist and the Ethiopian eunuch. And if you're not a Christian, that whole sentence is gibberish. Like, I know that. But the shorthand of it is like the Holy Spirit like kind of gives someone this impression internally. So it's like, hey, go talk to that person. And he like runs up alongside the chariot while it's going. And the, the Ethiopian's literally reading from the scroll of Isaiah, reading from the Bible. And, you know, Philip's like, do you understand what you're saying? And he's like, man, I wish somebody would explain this Bible to me. And so Philip hops up in the chariot and the guy's like, I need Jesus. Let's get baptized. I see some water. Right? And you just like, there it is. Like that. Oh, well, when the Holy Spirit's working, obviously that's what it looks like to witness and share your faith. <laughs> Has that been your experience in Boston? <laughs> I mean, in our church's like six years of existence, there have been a, a handful of people who showed up in the church building and were like, I think I need God. And I think I can count them on one hand, and I know their names. But more often than that, it's two years of conversations with people, and nothing really seems to happen. This is what it looks like to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit and share about Jesus in a context when things may not move like you want them to move. But this is no less empowered speech by the Holy Spirit about Jesus. Do you see? This is, this is Boston, except we're not in prison. Thank God for that. And let's also maybe just pause for half a second and acknowledge there are Christians in the world in jail because of their witness about Jesus. 
This is Holy Spirit-empowered speech. Now, let me tell you how this story ends. Uh, the original guy, Felix, is succeeded by, you can bring it up, is succeeded by a guy named King Agrippa and Portius Festus. They're the new king and governor over the place. After two years of sitting in prison, sharing about Jesus, keeping this conversation about faith going, he gets a new trial with new people. And so he has another chance to defend himself with the governor and the king. And it's like, what should you be talking about? Man, it's like, dude, stay on message this time. He gets an audience with the new people. And this is what he says to the king. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa says to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? It's like, Paul, stop, bro. You're off message again. Come on. This time, he's not just telling about Jesus. He's like actively like walking this guy down the Romans road, like trying to help him trust in Jesus right now at his trial while Paul's standing there in chains. He says, you think in such a short time? And this is what Paul replies. And this is what, this is what drew my heart to this passage for our church is this sentence. Paul says, short time or long. I don't care whether it takes today or 10 years. I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. And if I can get to the point that that's my attitude personally for, for, for having these conversations about faith with my neighbors, that's, that's a win for me. You know what I'm saying? First of all, he says, I want you to become what I am. Paul's experience of God's grace was so transforming and fundamental in his own life that he wanted other people to have what he had. He wanted other people to experience what he had experienced. And this experience of grace, I think, leads to his complete lack of fear of people. Like he, God has become so big in his eyes that people have shrunk down and become small. So he can stand in front of the king that has the power to give him life or death and say, don't care, bro. Listen, there's something you need to know about. Like that is what the Bible calls fear of God. It's an old word, fear. It kind of means respect. It kind of has that, that part of it. It's like he doesn't fear people. He fears God. And that means God becomes big in his eyes. People become small in the sense that he has the power to speak truth to anyone and everyone. He can just keep the conversation going because he's not afraid of them. So he has this experience of God's grace. But the second thing that Paul has that leads to his effectiveness, and this is something for us to take with us and learn about, is just here. He says, he keeps the conversation going. It says shorter, uh, short or time or long, he has perseverance. He says, I want everyone to know what I know. I don't care how long it takes, whether it takes two minutes or, or two years. And this comes back to the Holy Spirit, because think about this with me for a second. The Holy Spirit is invisible, powerful, and life-giving, which means that you don't know when the Spirit's going to move, just like you don't know when the wind's going to blow. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. You don't know. So as a Christian, your job is not to make someone believe. You can't do that. You can't forgive their sins. You can't give them hope for the future. You don't even have the power to help them change their life today. If the Holy Spirit is going to move when the Holy Spirit wants to move, your job is to keep the conversation going. That's your job. The one conversation that matters, the eternal conversation, the conversation that changes people's eternity, keep the conversation going. With your neighbors who seem like they're so far from God, with your family members that seem like they have no interest. With, your people at, with the people at work who are, 
sometimes your allies, sometimes your enemies, sometimes your frenemies, whose lives are falling apart, is keep the conversation going. Practice curiosity instead of judgment. Ask a lot of questions to find out where they come from and what makes them who they are. Keep the conversation going. Because you never know when the Holy Spirit is going to move and change their heart. And so here's the question for us. Where's the conversation stopped? Because I'll just, I'll share personally for a second that like, this, this is a tough one for me. It's like, where do you need to keep the conversation going? Because for me, so many times, it's like, when it, when it takes years, I, I pray and I pray, and then somewhere along the way, like, I stop praying and I forget to pray, and maybe it's a lack of faith or it's just apathy. Like, whatever it is, it's like, somewhere along the way, I stopped praying. And my guess is that God, if you're a follower of Jesus, God puts someone on your heart that you're like, man, I wish my college roommate, I don't talk to him much anymore, but I wish they, they could become what I am. I wish they knew what I knew. I wish they could see what I saw. I wish that they would look at the eyewitness accounts and have forgiveness for their past, hope for their future, and the power to change today. Like with me, it's my family. My family, they don't know Jesus. And sometimes I just, it's taken so long that faith is hard, and I, I forget to pray. I forget to keep the conversation going, and it just becomes about other things, and you just fall back into those old ruts, those people who know you so long. It's neighbors that seem like they're so far from God. Is that best friend from childhood that God still has on your heart, and for some reason in your soul, the Holy Spirit says to you, you are not done with this person. Where do you need to keep the conversation going? Just believing. I don't know when the Holy Spirit's going to move, but I believe that he takes this conversation, these words, and gives it power. Now, on your connection card today, the next step from the message, it says, my next step today is to commit to keep the conversation going with. And I want to encourage you to write someone's name down. Maybe write their initials if that makes you more comfortable because our staff prays for these cards every week and some of our elders do as well. Um, And we want to pray for you. And we want to pray for them. Just believing that, man, you know, like, (laughs) that maybe, maybe it's not the quality of the presentation Maybe it's not about the verses you have memorized, although there's some verses you should probably memorize. I mean, like, but maybe it's not about, you know, just how, how persuasive you are as a person. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not about those things. And like, I try to do all the, like, I want to do those things because I, like, I care. But maybe it's about the power of the Holy Spirit moving in a person's life. And what it's going to take is prayer. Because if we don't have the power to raise someone from the dead, like like someone's spiritually dead, and only God has the power to do that, then maybe what we need more than anything is to ask God to move. Like regain that fire where you get down on your knees and say, God, I need you to do this. God, I'm desperate for you to do this. God, I cannot do this on my own. And so you got to pray. And and we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you, just believing that God wants to do something in their life because the Bible says God 
God desires that all should come to repentance. That he's not slow. He's just waiting for people to trust him. Because he's a God who loves. He's a God who wants his kids back. And maybe he wants to use you to do that. You know, the last thing I want to share with you before we close today is some words of Jesus. Because I think just the last thing that keeps us from doing this, and it's, a, it's just, I mean, I, I think we've all thought this before. Is it like, man, I want to do this, but I just don't know what to say. Like, I don't know what to say. And I don't know what I'm going to say. And I think that's why Jesus said these words. And this is the last thing I want to share with you. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't, I'm worried I won't know what to say. Jesus says this, don't worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. You're like, oh, man, I'm so worried about what I'm going to say. Jesus, Jesus is like, listen, I want to get really clear for everybody for a second here. Don't worry about what you're going to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Listen, God not only is working in them, God's working in you too. And so the most important thing you could do is keep the conversation going. So what you got to do is you got you to you start with prayer. You got to make a time. You got you to take a deep breath, say a silent prayer, and then you just got to start the conversation. Ask a question and start it. Keep it going. Because you never know when the Holy Spirit will move. And when he does, he just might move through you.